0: Cable Smith here, alongside my co-host Chisholm Cook. This is episode three of Justified Pursuit. We've got a great topic for today, one that I think y'all will find interesting, and certainly one that Chisholm and I have discussed in detail over the years. Uh, Lots of late nights spent in the backcountry, and it's hard to sleep, (laughs) I know, certainly for me, but the conversation always comes easy and Toxic masculinity is something that uh, is really an issue in our society today, suppressing what it means to be a a leader, a manly man. And for some reason, that carries a stigma, a negative stigma in our society today. And so anyway, we've got lots to say on the topic, but no Chisholm, you had something on your mind that you wanted to piggyback on from last week's conversation concerning... The second amendment. So I'm going to turn it over to you and, and let you explain exactly what's on your mind.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, I have a couple of things just as a follow on from that. The first is, <clears throat> I, I agree with the idea of police reform in this country. Because I, I don't believe in a police state. I believe in law and order. Um, but I, I don't, I don't like violence from the police in general. I understand at times it's absolutely necessary, but uh, it's, I I do agree with the protests that it happens too much. And uh, the first thing I wanted to mention, I want to do a little better job as we go forward when we throw out Uh, studies that we may be familiar with or you know individuals who speak on these topics that we might reference I mentioned an african-american professor from harvard who has in the last few years published this most the most comprehensive recent study of police violence against african americans and it's the one that shows that like I think it's five times more unarmed white people are killed by the police than than black people Mm mm-hmm and then, but he also notes that physical altercations. There are way, way more physical altercations where you know somebody's getting roughed up between police and African Americans across the country than between police and white people. And so, you know, basically, he, as I understand it, he sort of indicates that the, that the data doesn't necessarily support that more African Americans are killed by the police. generally speaking, but that uh, there does seem to be some data that supports the idea that they're way more likely to get into physical confrontations. And there may be lots and lots of reasons to explain that on case by case basis. But the point is, police killing unarmed people in general is terrible. Um, Right. And so we all
0: agree with that.
1: Yeah, reform aimed at that I support 100%. Um, His name is Roland Fryer. So anybody who wants to check it out, go check out Roland Fryer. Uh, Not coincidentally, in my opinion, subsequent to his release of that study, one of his fellow faculty members at Harvard accused him of sexual assault, Hmm. um, which is the kind of thing we saw against Clarence Thomas when he was nominated to the Supreme Court. Obviously, Justice Kavanaugh when he was nominated to the Supreme Court. Right. You know. The fact that Roland Fryer is still a professor at Harvard, despite those claims, in, in my opinion, indicates that they were probably lacking some evidence. Yeah. Um, and it was basically retaliation by probably a, a woke leftist professor on that campus. Whoa. And this actually will flow into the toxic masculinity thing. Go ahead. You, you,
0: you know that Me Too is over. It's sold out faster than Kamala Harris. <clears throat> Yeah, bashing Joe Biden. Sure. Uh, I mean, no doubt. Here's Biden accused of this, and and his running mate saying, "I believe these women." Okay, and we talked about how uh, when we were getting into the Second Amendment last week, how much of a flip flop for Kamala is, and how she's like, "Oh wait, no, never mind." Uh, I said I believe those women, but now I'm now I'm running with Joe Biden for the for the for the White House. It's absurd. Me too's over. Mm, no more. They don't care about it. Uh, one other thing to mention before we get into today's topic that I that I saw on the news, which I thought was hilarious, um, Don Lemon, the uh, CNN, I think CNN anchor, um, African American, he said last week, uh, we need to stop the rioting. Now, why would he say that, Chisholm? I don't know if you saw that comment, but this is the first. Oh, he time specifically
1: said because it's hurting Democrats in the polls, not <laughs> right. because right. it's bad and yep. violence should be condemned in general, but no, because it's hurting Democrats in the polls, which, you know, anybody who makes a statement like that on what's supposed to be a news organization, and then also tries to claim to be, you know, independent and objective in their analysis, I, I mean, the, it's laughable, right? It's, it's, it's gaslighting to claim that those folks, that I think he was having that conversation with Chris Cuomo, both of those guys are obviously, yes. Yeah, just totally in the bag. And, and they're basically just like the majority of American media, they're, they're just the, they're just the advertising arm of the, of the Democratic Party. But w- one of the other things I wanted to mention is, well, I wanted to ask you, what is your opinion of no knock warrants?
0: It's really not that, that, that hard of a one for me. After what happened, to Breonna Taylor. You know, I never really even thought about no knock warrants, to be honest with you until it was in the, in the headlines because of that situation. Right. Um, I never really thought, Oh, bad guys. Okay. They're drug dealers. I don't care if a SWAT team busts in there. It doesn't affect me, but then you have this innocent girl who, and, and I said on social media, you know, innocent and everyone was like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You know, maybe there's more to that. I don't know if she had a rap sheet. I don't, I don't think that she did. I couldn't find anything on it, but, you know, seems like she was associating with criminals. That doesn't mean that she should have had her house barged into and, and ended up being killed. Um, so I, I got to say, and, and there's something you told me, like, um, you have a, a, a background in law and you told me that, you know, did a little research and if someone barges into your house unannounced, you have the right to kill them, you yeah. know, unless it's a cop. Well, how do you know right. it's a cop at three in the morning? If they don't. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Right. There is a direct conflict between the, our Second Amendment right to protect our home and our family, although, as we talked about, that Second Amendment right is actually written for much more than that. But we right. know it allows us to protect our home and our family, and that almost every state in the union has something like a castle doctrine or you know, something that says specifically, no questions asked, no intent really matters when someone busts in your house at night you have that right. So exactly, the fact that it does not apply if the police enter your home unannounced, bust through your door, you don't have that right. And in fact, if you do open fire, then they are within their rights to return fire, which is what happened in Brianna Taylor's case. They busted in the door, not surprisingly got shot at, and she ends up getting killed. Clearly, that is a problem on a number of levels. And To the point of reform, to me, that's a pretty easy one. Right. I don't know this. I haven't seen the statistic. But my guess is that a lot of the instances of police killing really anybody is in that situation where they've busted into a door, met fire, returned fire, and somebody ended up dead. There's a conflict there. And Senator Tim Scott, by the way, an African-American Republican from South Carolina, Mm -hmm. Proposed a bill in June in response to what was going on after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, et cetera. To, I'm not exactly sure if it was to limit or actually uh, completely elimin- eliminate them, but it was definitely one of the components of his bill was to reform that issue. And the Democrats blocked it, refused to take it up for a debate, and now nothing. And, and and because of weird Senate rules about. Uh, how bills are proposed in the Senate, that rendered the entire discussion moot. It rendered it, it left them in a situation where the House would have to prepare a bill, pass the bill for the Senate to review. The Senate basically punted the entire thing when the Republicans had come forward with a sweeping reform bill, including that issue. They just said, we're not going to talk about it. Why? If you're being cynical, it's because they didn't want the Republicans to get credit for reform. And Either way, it sounds like we agree that
0: that's, that's that's petty as what those anchors were doing on CNN. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the exact same thing. Right. So just just pettiness, just, I mean, I don't know. We saw a lot of that from both sides in, in, uh, Obama's last four years when he was essentially a lame duck president. If Trump wins and they take the Senate, I, I maybe, you know, I hope that doesn't become the reality of his second term, but it very well could.
1: Well it would certainly be better than the Democrats having all three
0: Oh, yeah but, no, no doubt about that about but it, that. so
1: just high level and then let's let's move on to the toxic masculinity thing i I want to make sure that our anybody who's listening to us understands that we're not unsensitive to what's going on in this country to the to the reality that the reasonable protesters the reasonable people within that movement are advocating but you know, if this country is about equality and about not seeing or dividing us up by race, then we should be having that conversation about police brutality, violence, et cetera, in general, not that it's all about specifically and only their conflicts among the African-American community. I look at that as a subset of a broader problem. And Roland Fryer's research indicates that with both the killing of unarmed citizens data that he lays out and then but then the roughing up I guess of African Americans and the sort of disproportionate uh, uh, nature of that but so anyway like I said there's at least a thread there where you were talking about you know the the me too aspect what happened to Roland Fryer after he put that information out there that flows right into this toxic masculinity conversation
0: yeah Yeah, which is what we're going to get into now. And, you know, historically, I wonder when, and and I'm talking mostly like, let's just take America, for example. I know when my dad was a kid, he's in his mid-60s, masculinity wasn't toxic. I mean, the greatest generation had just come back from World War II, had started families, and those were real men. And those men were not raising any Nancy boys. I'll tell you that right now. So I don't know when we decided as a culture that masculinity was toxic. I don't feel like it was when I was a kid. I'm 30, 39, just turned 39. Um, but somewhere in the last 20 years, and I'm sure that it has uh, roots that date beyond, well past that. But somewhere in the last 20 years, I feel like it it really started to take a grip on on american society.
1: Yeah, well, there's a there's a war on on manhood in general going on from the woke progressive left. Their belief is that it is based on the fact that as they see it white males have dominated the last several centuries or really I mean I guess they would claim the history of mankind and their ridiculously simplistic and, and, you know, chaotic revolutionary way of dealing with these problems is to flip the power dynamic. So if, in their opinion, white males are the problem, what do you got to do? Undermine males in general, white males in particular, in every way they can. So to your point, masculinity is a virtue. Absolutely. It represents strength properly applied it represents discipline of the application of that strength to the appropriate times right mm-hmm. regulating yourself in such a way that you don't overreact and over use your strength whether that's one-on-one between a man and a woman or a man and his children or a man and another man whatever it might be the discipline and regulation of that application of of, of a man's strength of a man's aggression, right? Yeah. That that's why it's virtuous. It's
0: of his passion to defend his family.
1: That's right. Yeah. And rather than, rather than identify that masculinity is when men are behaving appropriately as men, and exerting their strength, force, and aggression as appropriate in a situation. Separating that from, I, I would say that when they talk about toxic masculinity, what they mean is undisciplined assholes, right? bad guys. But that would undermine their intent, which is to flip the power structure, put men on the bottom in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the culmination of a whole bunch of different movements that have all been rolled into the left, the, you know, radical feminist movement, this radical race movement. And and then there's a tension between those because guess what? There are black men, just like there are white men. And there are black men who have used and do at times use their strength, just like white men in that negative harmful way but they don't want to parse all that out. They just want to flip this power structure. So they under they attack the virtue of masculinity as though it should be eliminated. You can see it in textbooks in colleges across the campus, main across the country. You can see it in the way the news speaks of it. You can see it in certain cities, the way that they are passing laws, certain states that are passing laws, that they're, they are attacking the very idea that a man can and should at times use his strength use his tenacity and the fierce warrior within all of us to fight against oppression or violence or to protect their family or to protect their society
0: their country. rather than
1: acknowledging that 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 is a virtuous thing they want to just in, in this pursuit of a utopia where somehow violence would no longer exist. Men perpetrate the majority of the violence. So you just call it toxic masculinity. And uh, under the assumption, there's no such thing as virtuous masculinity. Right. And my position is the term masculinity is virtuous. It's not like machismo, right? Mm -hmm. Machismo from, uh, I I guess it has, like, Spanish roots, basically. But that's your sort of... It is a term that is associated with the idea of sort of a flamboyant, hyper-masculine, you know, more what they would call sort of patriarchal, you know, approach to manhood.
0: And while that's not the version of masculinity that I think either one of us believes is virtuous, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of machismo. (laughs) And
1: and to me it comes down to the discipline component, right? Right. Uh, More and more, you know, in in this sort of stage of my life, the journey you and I have been on over the last five or so years, discipline in all aspects of life, I believe is how, I mean, it's its own virtue, right? But, but it's how, it's the only way a man ever becomes a, a true man or a woman, anybody, any human must exercise discipline over their emotions, over their, their desires right over their reaction to things. And so every virtue can be a vice if it's not regulated and disciplined for the good that it can produce. Right? So to your point, you know, i am certainly guilty of it. There are times where we let our emotional connection to these conversations or issues that were presented with ramp us up. Yeah. Well, again depending on the context and the setting that you're in that might be the appropriate response you know if you're being threatened physically no reasonable person would argue that the appropriate response is to just take a beating now i mean it's a little bit in conflict with the idea of turning the other cheek right but
0: well if you're cornered what you know, are you gonna do i've been known right. to uh, grab a <clears throat> bottle, break it, and brandish it, and that typically ends the threat very <laughs> quickly. I've uh, never had to use it, but when you do that and you're cornered, you know, uh, man, they, they're like, oh, this guy's got to screw loose. And that's just the natural instinct is you got to protect yourself. Uh, so, but, um, but well, what, and, and, what you said about as you age, like those conversations where I used to be, get more fired up and, and be aggressive, uh, I think even my wife, would say that I've, I've toned that down and I try to be more
1: receptive to what they're saying. Um, Yeah. Well, and it's like we talked about, man, there's always a nugget of truth in the positions of the left. And I do believe sincerely that generally speaking, they point out the problems in humanity and in society, right? Yeah. There are bad dudes that for whatever reason, don't have the ability to regulate that. They don't have, they don't have the role models in their lives that have shown them how to, harness their strengths and apply it to good right mm-hmm. so there is this dark side i guess i won't i refuse to acknowledge it as toxic masculinity but the strengths and the the benefits i guess that men have that we call masculinity certainly when left unchecked do become toxic harmful dangerous yeah right? but i could just sum but that up that's not up. masculinity
0: there that's just evil that's all that is is just pure evil not uh you know like haters right. and
1: um i mean certainly yeah. at its worst it's born from pure evil Yeah. but to me at, at, at a minimum it's it's a lack of it ed- it's a lack of proper role models and education and someone to look to to understand how to discipline those elements of manhood and rein them in for good. Right? Yeah. I just, when, when you, it, it is, I think I touched on this the last time, but if you read Karl Marx's manifest manifesto on communism language, the use of read 1984. George Orwell's 1984. I beg everybody listening to this to take a look at 1984 again. If you were assigned it in high school, my guess would be you weren't aware enough of the world to fully understand it. But I promise you, anybody who's you know an adult and aware of things in the 21st century in this country would read 1984 and be shocked at the vision and the foresight that George Orwell had when he wrote that book. Mm -hmm. Newspeak is what I'm getting at. There's this concept in the book 1984 of Newspeak. The party, quote unquote, which is the Communist Party in that book creates its own language by which to control the population. That's what we're seeing from the left. The term Black Lives Matter was co-opted. It was created by People, ladies who call themselves trained Marxists.
0: I've seen a video where because, yeah, I forget, right, forget her it's name. A, it, she's it's like, just, I'm a trained Marxist. Yeah.
1: Like I said, read, <laughs> just read their about me section and, and look at the arguments that they're making about why they exist and how many times they use the word comrades. It's not a secret. It's real. And you know they're trained Marxists because they chose a phrase that you cannot argue with. You can't even build out. You can't even add to. If, if you want to say anything, like, well, all lives matter, right? Racist. Like, whatever. Racist. Then you're, you're racist. racist exactly. Choosing. It allows them to go straight to you're a racist. So the concept of toxic Blue masculinity. Blue lives matter. You're a racist. The, the toxic masculinity, that term is not geared at helping men see the power that they have and teaching them to discipline it for good. It's undermining the, the those powers by definition that's what it's intended to do it's intended to undermine the idea that sometimes <laughs> sofa sofa hush, sometimes it violence. has a
0: gsp and if anyone yeah. doesn't know gsps are assholes great dogs but they can be assholes yeah
1: check out the facebook page <laughs> it's quite hilarious anyway the, it, it's intended to undermine the entire concept of masculinity and yeah. i believe part of that is because Oftentimes it's the application of masculine virtue that brings order back from chaos. Jordan Peterson talks about that sort of thing ad nauseum, right?
0: I'll, I'll, I'll say this though. If, if masculinity didn't exist, we wouldn't be reproducing as a, as a race, as a human race. I mean, that's a lot of where that stems from that, that passion, that desire to want to make love to a woman, to create offspring. Uh, but when you look yeah. at what's going on in the world today, <laughs> uh, I think that there's certainly a sect of people that would prefer if everyone was just neutered and we all just kind of identified as the same gender.
1: There's a bunch of beta males. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the, but the, the, the hilarious thing is there is a mountain of psychological and sociological data out there studies that have shown a woke left-leaning woman might speak about toxic masculinity, but then ask her what she actually wants in a sexual partner. Mm -hmm. She's going to want confidence. She's going to want a man, not that takes her against her will, Right. but generally speaking, the vast majority of women want a man who pursues them, to your point, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to always be the aggressor when it comes to intimacy. I don't mean aggressor negatively. I mean just the person who initiates. How about the initiator? That's a better term.
0: Well, how many Most romance f- novels in the millions have been, I mean, that's the whole deal. Dude, Why do you read that?
1: <laughs> exa- right. There's never – no romance novel has ever been written about a domineering woman, you know, mounting a weak beta male guy, right? The man in the story is always (laughs) the one who fights for her honor who will knock a dude's teeth out and then swoop her off her feet and carry her to the bedroom. All of them are like that. And I was actually I wasn't gonna, I thought about saying it, then I thought about not saying it, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it. The same women who would say that masculinity is toxic. Many, many of them read Fifty Shades of Grey and rushed to the theaters to watch that weird ass series of movies about a basically sadist in a in a, uh, you know, in an S&M relationship with a woman. Now, that's that's toxic, right? But they're attracted to it. Yeah. They're attracted to that yet. Toxic masculinity needs to be removed from society again. Me, my opinion, that book series and that movie series is gross. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, Yet that appeals. Yeah. And we all know the story of the, the bad guy, right? The, the bad boy image that women swoon to, especially young women. Again, there there are no women that want a beta male pansy. The vast, I don't remember the statistics, but I've seen and read and heard about so many studies where the vast majority of women are looking for that strong, traditionally masculine man to mate with, to be with, to lead their, to raise their, help raise a family with, you know, and, and to also tame somewhat. Right. I mean,
0: Oh, my wife certainly tames me and, and in a good way. I mean, I wasn't like heading down a a path of self-destruction but it wasn't productive. You know, I was sometimes out of control a little bit and uh, wild. And, and she made me want to do better and still does, to be frank.
1: They help men see where the line is, yeah. right? To know where to stop or where to hit the gas, right? Yeah. A testosterone-fueled 25-year-old with no ties at home, no home at all, that's a dangerous thing. It is even one who has been extraordinarily well raised who had a good strong father in his home to look to get a couple of beers and a 25 year old with nothing tying him down. Some bad things can happen. You bring a woman a a virtuous woman into that in into his life into a relationship and he wants to if he loves her regulate himself, right? Right. That's That's why. That's why that union makes us whole. I don't want to get religious every single all the time, but but, but that's why the concept of a man and a woman uniting and becoming one is so important, biblically speaking, and why the data shows unequivocally how one of the single most the single most correlating factor to a life of crime and imprisonment. Is not having had a father in the home, and it's the truth with girls too. I've read. I, I'm a. I'm, you know, I'm a father of four daughters, so I have read books going back to before we had our first about how to be a dad to girls. Right. The biggest thing is just be there. Girls without dads in the home suffer similar life problems to boys without dads.
0: Society would probably. Referred to them as is damaged a lot of the time.
1: Dude, it wasn't that long ago where the term daddy issues was ubiquitous. Everybody used it. We all knew what daddy issues led to, right? Right. Nowadays...
0: Can you even say daddy issues anymore? That's uh, what I'm saying. When was
1: the last time you heard it? I don't know. Yeah. My guess is, well, this is what I was going to say. Go to the About Me section, About Us section of the BlackLivesMatter.com website, the original organization, the one founded by these Marxists. And what you will see is an attack specifically on what they call the Western prescribed nuclear family, mother, father, kids. And when they list off the people who should be raising children, they specifically don't list fathers. Why? Because they think fathers contribute to this toxicity they claim, but they're also trying to counter the narrative that the African-American community would be much better off if there were more dads at home. I, this
0: What a contradiction. <sighs> wow. yeah. Well, I want to bring up a book that I think this was probably the first time that I be- became aware that, I mean, you know, of course in, in high school, everyone wants, everyone wants to chase girls. I mean, that's part of the deal. I think it was freshman year or sophomore year of college. So I was either it's a, the book was released in 2001. I probably read it in 2002. But uh, it's wild at heart. And I don't think before that, I even realized what my place in the world was going to be as a man. But this was the first time you really that I really felt like, man, there's so much inside of me as a man in modern society that is being suppressed. Um, and this book is based, it's a faith-based book, and it takes a look at recovering them the masculine heart um when i was a kid chism not everybody got a trophy if you won you got a trophy if you lost well sorry about you you know don't lose next time you might cry uh you're gonna be upset about it nowadays my kids play sports everyone gets a trophy there's no loser sometimes i don't even think they keep score up uh, until like first or second grade Yep that that is absurd to me because not everyone is a winner, not everyone is a winner in life. there are winners and losers. The harder I work, the luckier I seem to get. yep I don't know I mean that's just a, an example of is of me looking at my childhood comparing it to my what my kiddos are experiencing right now today uh so uh, you know I'm trying to raise them to where they know. hey, if you don't succeed, sorry about you, try harder next time you're not you don't you know you're not just you don't get a trophy a participation trophy. You don't just show up and the job's done. But I think that's what society is, is the message they want to send out is, hey, all you have to do is show up. Actually, you don't even have to show up. Here's some food stamps. You know, if you don't want to work, here's your unemployment check. Uh, it, we, we enable it and we incentivize it by offering them food stamps and, and financial gain for not working. Here's, hey, have another kid. Here's how much more money can I get by having another kid? Without yeah, the funny kids, thing is without a father, going back to the mass, you know, the lack of a masculine presence without a father. Now, now we're incentivizing you to have more and more kids without a father figure. Getting back to Wild at Heart, great read, one that that I think would help anybody searching for something within them, a, a man, kind of rediscover that what it means to be and that it's okay to be a a masculine man in two thousand twenty.
1: Oh, and not only that, I mean, it's basically saying it's crucial to your very existence, right? I mean, he, he basically makes the case that we've got a couple of generations now of just lost souls, men in this world who, to your point, have had their masculinity suppressed out of them, starting in grade school, man. Like, again, the, the studies on how broken our education system is as it applies to a young boy. There, there, there's just they're, there's a mountain of scientific data that shows that. <clears throat> well, okay, Ritalin and and uh, uh, Adderall. It, Adderall. Thank you. They were pretty much created to subdue little boys who were quote unquote hyper. I'm a victim. They're of not I know. I know. Yes, I, I do. And, and and I know lots of people. I'm so thankful that that I wasn't one of them but i would say that i don't know if most but a bunch of kids from our generation and since have been given that drug so that they can sit their butts still and just be quiet and listen in a classroom it's not because they're suffering from something called adhd It's because they're a ball of energy that needs to physically engage in the world around them that's what we were built to do that's what we're that's what we evolved to do boys aren't supposed to spend eight hours on their butts. No person is no human is. That's why we have a gigantic obesity. That's one of the reasons we have a terrible obesity epidemic in this country.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, we're I think forced I was- into the
1: sedentary lifestyle. And then it flows into, you know, where you go to college and you sit in your butts for four years of college in order to get a desk job and sit in your butt for the rest of your life in a desk and die at the age of 65 of a heart attack. When maybe if you had, you know, had a better way of learning and maybe learned to trade right a physical or, or at least had some physical outlet for that energy you would have developed certain skills that would make you stronger and, and better to survive and more capable around your own home how many guys don't even know how to change a light fixture in our society anymore because change a flat tire oh man I, I went to law school with a guy that he was <clears throat> he was a dude's dude he was a guy's guy man he was fit jacked you know what i would consider a virtuously masculine and at 25 years old he did not know how to change a tire
0: goodness gracious
1: yeah i was shocked oh. you know and uh, it sounds like a jump from what i'm saying about school to that but the, the point is I'm not sitting here saying we should completely abandon the modern education model, right? We have to have kids going to school and getting their education, but there's a lot of dead time for a smart kid in a classroom. I was the kind of kid who could, if, you know, if we were given a worksheet to knock out and and 45 minutes to do it, or even a test, I'd be done in 10 and I'd be sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Right. What if we restructured school where the three or four hours of learning that are actually achieved in a typical elementary, junior high, or high school setting were consolidated, condensed, and whether it's, hey, you finish your test, go outside to the to the to the playground and play, or you know, sprinkle your regular classes throughout the day, and then have every hour a session where you do something physical. You how about something you know,
0: worthwhile? Like, like, here's learn a trade. Hey, let's you finish right. the test now. It's time to go to
1: welding class. Mm-hmm
0: yeah i mean exactly let's uh let's learn how to tear apart and put back and put a a v8 engine back together
1: exactly exactly it doesn't have to be just running and sweating and wrestling there are lots of ways to stimulate a man a a boy a male with physical engagement in the physical world that's that's really what it comes down to men boys they they got to put their hands on stuff, right? You could yeah. have a structure where boys were taught their mathematics by playing with blocks instead of just listening to a teacher drone on and then, and then taking the test. I mean, you still got to have the test, right? But
0: yeah.
1: why is it that why is it that instead of figuring out how to better educate boys that in a way that matches? their natural tendencies. Instead of that, we drug them and stick them on their butts and force them into a education structure that generally works for girls. Mm-hmm. Right? Of course, part of the reason is, according to the left nowadays, there's no difference in the first place. All these differences we observed are, are all just society's construction and 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 that's just nonsense that the the data proves unequivocally that's not the case
0: and i want to go back to the drug thing uh i think it was about eighth grade when my teachers were like yeah cable's just having he just seems to not be with us in class like it wasn't like i was getting up walking around i was a functioning member of a classroom i was a a and b student i just was bored out of my mind like Mm -hmm. and so next thing you know, I'm, I'm at a doctor's office. I'm getting prescribed Adderall. I can't sleep at night. My parents are making me take it. They think they're doing something that's good for me. It's coming from the right place, but it's right. the wrong thing. Uh, and, and so I get to college, and I still have a prescription for Adderall, which, you know, like I said, going back to not being able to sleep at night, um, you're th- always thirsty. These are just a couple of the side effects. Going back to uh, suppressing masculinity – has anyone ever tried to get a boner on Adderall? <laughs> I mean, like it, it has, it suppresses it all. Like it's, it's terrible. And now I get to college and, and I'm like, man, I hate this stuff. I can't give it away fast enough. Everyone else wants it. And I'm looking at like wh- what it's done today. So I, I got off of it cause I hated it from my childhood experience. And I look at all the adults that are now hooked on it mm-hmm. because they took it to, you know, study for a cram for an exam in college. And now they have to take it just to function at their nine to five job every day. And now we have a whole generation of adults that are basically addicted to just amphetamines in general, whatever name, whatever it is, Adderall, Ritalin, there's tons of other ones now. It's basically speed and they can't function without it.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, you, at a young age, you
0: take this drug in your everyday life as an adult and you're listening to the show. I'm not knocking you. I mean, I, I just... <laughs> I, I was on the other side of the spectrum as someone who had to take it as a kid and I couldn't get away from it fast enough. Uh, but it is not healthy. Doctors are so... It's so easy to get a script for it.
1: Well... Anyway, uh, to, you I know...
0: ADHD. Uh, okay, here's your Adderall. Good luck.
1: Th- th- There's so many... There's so many aspects of the left's agenda that th- this could apply to. And I want to say we even touched on one when it came to the, the idea of transitioning pre-teenage kids, right? Oh because they claim... Right. Like to you to what you were saying. Adults going to a doctor, getting an Adderall prescription to focus at work, dude, you're a grown-up. Whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. If you can overcome some of the negative side effects, it doesn't disrupt your sleep, which is one of the worst things for human health, you know, in modern society. If it you know doesn't prevent you from a healthy diet and continuing to strengthen your body. You know, one of the things I think when you said that those negative side effects, everybody knows it's it's like the greatest diet drug of all time because you don't eat. Well, what happens to a man that's not eating properly and spends all his time behind a computer screen instead of getting his butt up and, and doing some exercise, you just become weaker and weaker over time. Right?
0: You look like a, v- but either,
1: but, but either way, let's say you, you I don't even care. <sighs> My point is adults, in this country are free to do what they want. Yeah. What, we're, what, I, what I think is the problem is using a prescription to drive the boyhood out of a boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Once you're into your 20s and beyond, if your doctor will prescribe it and it helps you, more power to you. Yeah. But, but it was originally designed to take the piss and vinegar out of little boys.
0: Which Rather than finding right. a way,
1: right, exactly. And I was going to say, you, I know to be a gifted, uh, fast twitch, natural athlete. You can't put somebody whose body is built to race in a setting where they have to sit all day and then be, and then pretend to be confused as to why that doesn't work for them. Yeah. Right? You just can't. Yeah. If you're you know, you know, I, I was not a born natural athlete. But that didn't mean it was any easier for me to sit all day. It's still not I don't sit I basically never sit. It just screws up your posture ends up giving you pain makes you fat and lazy. You know? Oh, yeah. But yeah. That's what we're expected to do with boys from the age of, you know, five till they're 22. And then beyond. Because we're all supposed to have desk jobs
0: well you know and then you take that masculinity out of them at an early age and they go pursue a degree in women's studies can't find a job and next thing you know they're marching with antifa so
1: yeah well I mean, and, that's and a, so that's a, and,
0: that sums it up I and mean, that's a lot more to than that but that's what you see right now going on all over the country is these people who are pissed at the world because they got a degree that's worthless i mean when they should have been And maybe, you know, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe they, maybe they never got off the Adderall and they, you know, they, uh, they had that boyhood passion for life and and that zest and that fire sucked out of them at an early age. And so they, they didn't know they weren't supposed to pursue a degree in women's studies, you know, maybe that was, but, but this is the reality. Now they're mad. They can't find a job. They're in debt and they want everything for free. Give me, give me, give me, I'm a, I deserve this. I get a trophy. No, you don't get a trophy you do something you go and find something to do with your hands find something that actually is meaningful pursue that in your life you'll feel rewarded
1: yeah well and so transition a little bit back to the i love my job top... yeah <laughs> yeah I do. yeah well, i do too but it, i i have i manage it where it doesn't require me to sit on my butt all day yeah. but uh, getting back to the sort of central point of the conversation of toxic masculinity, right? And the, the thing that, that drives me nuts is that among the left, the concept of toxic masculinity is a given and something that must be driven out of society. But have you ever heard the term toxic femininity? No. Right.
0: No. That's so I, a I had a,
1: back <laughs> during the Kavanaugh saga, I had a conversation with a person very, very close to me who we had, a, we had a debate about what was going on with Kavanaugh and I was, <clears throat> it went into this idea of, of toxic masculinity and I, I just recoiled at the fact that she was a female loved one of mine, you know, was throwing out this idea of toxic masculinity and, and you know, it's worth noting, she was willing to concede the fact that the evidence against Kavanaugh was she might've said spotty. I think anybody who watched that knows it was all bullshit because that lady's best friend said it wasn't true and she was supposedly there, but leave that aside. This loved one of mine was willing to grant the idea that maybe Kavanaugh himself isn't, being rightfully accused of this, but he's a representative, and, and what they're getting at is representative of this idea of toxic masculinity. And his yearbook from 30 years ago or 40 years ago proves how toxic he was because of the jokes him and his buddy made about poofing, you know, girls from other schools or whatever. But but I I asked that question, I was like, I tried to explain. Oh, there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. There's masculinity is a virtue that when left unchecked just results in assholes, right? Bad dudes. Right. Beyond that, though, how come I never hear the left bring up the concept of toxic femininity? And she said, because there's no such thing. And I was like, what? There's no such thing. I had a girl in high school claim she was pregnant with my baby. It was a lie. Yeah. That sounds like toxic femininity to me if there's such a thing. If there's such a thing as toxic masculinity, there has to be such a thing as toxic femininity.
0: Well, is it toxic? femininity at the other end of the spectrum and probably the root of trying to uh, weed out what they believe is toxic masculinity the masculine male that exudes confidence and power and strength yeah they they have everything to do with each other I guess is what I'm trying to say
1: I I think they do but, but I guess all I'm getting at is like the me too movement was a I like great how you can example say it
0: was because it's it's gone. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is over. <laughs> and,
1: and here's another instance where just like we, I, I want to try to differentiate between the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Lives Matter organization, right? So let's yeah. refer to the movement. Just like there is a reality to the protests that should be addressed in modern society, there is a there there is a reality to the Me Too movement that absolutely needs to be addressed. The funny thing is some of the most grotesque monsters that were called out during the Me Too movement, you know, happened to be like massive campaign contributors to Hillary Clinton, like Harvey Weinstein, that Mm -hmm. sadistic sicko, right? Yep. So So there was some truth there. But what ended up coming from that movement, and part of the reason I think it dissolved just as quickly as it came is that a whole bunch of stories came out that were basically proved to be false on their face or misconstrued. What happened to uh, Aziz Ansari? Do you know him? The comedian? Yeah. From, uh, uh, I think it was Parks and Rec he was in, right?
0: The Indian guy, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's funny. This, I like him. He's hilarious. Yep. And his
1: he did a special uh, probably a year after his, you know, near cancellation, where he addressed this and it was, beautifully done. But a woman made a claim against him in which she acknowledged that she went along at every step with everything he wanted to do yet somehow she was like raped. And it's like, wait a minute. That that was the one that that was like, the, that was the one that turned the tide everybody that was commenting on this whole thing looked at that and was like, well, I mean, it, it's a little gross and unseemly but it doesn't sound like you got raped. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, what is Me Too about? Is it is Me Too about forcibly violating a woman, or is it about a woman who woke up the next day
0: with buyer's remorse?
1: Right. Exactly. You know, it's. You, you know, get it, it get got a so jail
0: free card because you got too drunk and made a bad decision. And that may sound unsensitive. I'm not at all saying that uh, women have the right to never have anything done to their body that they do not want done to them. But if you, yeah, if a chick really, is
1: blacked out, drunk, leave your damn hands off. of Right. A hundred percent.
0: But she wasn't. And she knowingly and willingly went along with what he was asking her to do. And then she was like the next day, did I, why did I do that? Now I, I don't feel good about that. Well, tough, tough shit.
1: Yeah. I mean the very notion of believe all women is toxic. I don't know if I can go so far as to call it toxic femininity. I don't really see the femininity in it, but the point is, why would we believe all of anyone? Human beings, every single one of us has deceived, mm-hmm. is capable of deception, right? Yeah. So that, that's why we have due process in this country. And getting back to the conversation I had with this female loved one, I was shocked when she basically dismissed that idea. Because in her opinion, Toxic masculinity has created atrocities against women and, you know, since time immemorial. And so we don't deserve due process anymore. We don't deserve our day in court, a proper reckoning with what was alleged.
0: So now modern society is paying for the sins of the history of mankind is what she's saying. We deserve but Don't
1: it. get me wrong. Hey, let's, let's, let's acknowledge the fact that there are real rapes happening all across the country all the time. Like there is, it's still a thing, right? Right. I'm not sitting here pretending like misogyny is not still a thing. And that, right. you know, the women's liberation movement was a critical part of the growth of our society. It was right. But it's transitioned from women having a, uh, the op- opportunity to do anything they want in this world. Right. It's transitioned from that and, and female empowerment to men are all just evil right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've read this book yet. I want to, I want to recommend it to all of the masculine fellows out there. Uh, and, and this goes back to, I would say, I mean, we all love our lives, right? And, and this is still a beautiful world. Every day is a blessing. Uh, but going back to the early 1900s and this book is called outdoor pastimes, Of an American hunter. And do you know who wrote it, Chisholm?
1: Um, I don't.
0: (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt
1: Ah, wrote this book.
0: And it chronicles his adventures. This is all about uh, North American big game hunting, but it chronicles his adventures of hunting mountain lions, bears, uh, killing a mountain lion with a knife. While the dogs are on it. I mean, we still do that today with, with feral hogs. Um, It's a, it is a very primal, primal sport. And, uh, but you think about a time when the most powerful person in the world, the president of the USA is out there chasing cougars with dogs and a knife on horseback. And if you thought about comparing that to today, what would society say if, if Trump did that? And, and take Trump out of it if the president did that. Uh, but but in those times, it was celebrated. And so I would say that 100 years ago probably was a better time, certainly to to be a, a masculine male, uh, to exemplify those characteristics that we've talked about today. And so I don't know. I, I, I don't think we'll ever get that back as a society. I do believe that times used to be better. And as a parent trying to raise a seven-year-old son in this society where he's at school right now, probably, I don't know that they're teaching it it, to to seven-year-olds, but he will learn about BLM, and they're going to teach him.
1: I bet you anything he's going to learn about toxic masculinity. Absolutely. Because anybody who thinks that Texas is immune to this is wrong, man. Yeah. This leftist agenda has infiltrated our high, our schools in this state.
0: Yeah, all the way will will be the end of us. So, absolutely, but uh, can't, I can't recommend that book enough. If you want to, I mean, it's a hoot.
1: Well, let me maybe do you a little one better here on Teddy in general. Um, first of all, I would just suggest to your point that people study him as a man, because um, he's a fascinating human, and there's a reason he's on Ra- Mount Rushmore, right? With three other critical figures, I would actually argue that a lot of the things he outlined in the book that you just referenced actually were not just generally accepted back then by society, uh, you know, unanimously. There was a cosmopolitan, you know, quote-unquote civilized set. Um, particularly Teddy Roosevelt. I I read a, a, when we first started our elk obsession and, you know, the, the self-improvement efforts that, that we sort of married to that. I read a a bio biography on, on Teddy. Mm -hmm. I finished two of three volumes, like thousand pages each, but those two were basically all of his life up until uh, through basically his presidency. And the third volume would be the things that he did after that when he (laughs) <laughs> tried to storm the Republican convention with his bull moose party and all this stuff. But so the really cool stuff about, you know, him going out to Montana to, you know, and, and, and basically becoming a deputized sheriff and, you know, chasing robbers down the, uh, uh, the Missouri river and all just dude, he was, a he was, he became a My point is the man was born in New York and raised in, you know, late 19th century, cosmopolitan New York. I think in a lot of ways, that, a, that era of New York, the, 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 the high society aspects of it and the rubbing shoulders in fancy suits, you know, at, at, at these dinner parties, that, that's not that different than today. And a lot of these, these quote, civilized ideals come from that, that sect of society, right? He, he was raised in a place that stifled him the way we're talking about.
0: Boy, he couldn't get away from it fast enough.
1: Exactly. He decided to cash out, buy himself a ranch in Montana and become a cowboy for a decade of his life, something he had never done. And this, this, this book was so cool because one of the great things about Teddy is that he was, this, he was the most prolific writer, probably in American presidential history. He wrote on average 25 personal letters a day to friends and family. So he, there is this wealth of documentation about his life on a day to day basis. So we know about all of these little details. And we know about things like this author, you know, explaining how the, the real cowboys out there, the ranch hands, the frontiersmen that he went to live with, and work with, laughed at him when he got there. First of all, he wore glasses. Um, and you know, that was at a time where glasses were a sign of like, basically something being wrong with you being some kind of weakling, right. And in a lot of ways, he, he got really sick. I don't remember what he got as a kid, but it almost killed him, and it, it left him um, somewhat stunted, and, you know, there's this note in there where his dad told him, you know, that, that physical development's not going to come easy to you. You're going to have to build your body, and that was, like, when he was, like, 14, and from that day for the rest of his life, he worked out every single day, built himself up to be a man of about 180 pounds who was strong and tough. So he went out to Montana. They laughed at him. They mocked him as this, you know, pretty boy, bespectacled dork from the city. Yeah. And then 2 years later he was breaking wild horses. And if you don't know what that means, it means jumping on the back of a wild horse until it stops trying to kick you off, right? Yeah. Some tough stuff. Wrangling cattle, branding cattle. Like I said, there's this all epic story of him uh grabbing a you know deputizing a, a group of folks to pursue these I think they were I think they were robbers. Maybe they robbed a bank or something like that, but they were it was in the middle of winter and they were trying to escape down the Missouri River through ice flows and stuff. And they pursued him for days, camping on snow. Then later in life, he obviously led the roughnecks into uh, the Spanish American war in Cuba. Even 120 something years ago now, there was this man whose manhood was being suppressed and he found every outlet he could to express his masculinity, his strength, that energy and fire that every man has and somewhere inside of him in mostly virtuous ways. And that's not to say the man wasn't without fault, but despite being like, uh, there's this one part where he, he's president now. Right. And throughout his presidency, which by the way, he could have had a third term. He was initially made president when McKinley was assassinated. He was his VP. So he was made president within the first year of McKinley's presidency. So he served almost a full term, got himself elected then chose not to run again because he was honoring the constitutional uh, term restrictions of two terms. He could have by law been reelected and it would have served for, uh, I guess, 11 years. But he said, I'm not going to do that because that would be circumventing the intent of the constitution that one man not have power for that long, right? Anyway.
0: One word that comes up, um that we haven't surprisingly I can't believe we haven't said this word today that but it it goes hand in hand with masculinity and that's leadership and ultimately the desire to lead uh, and I'm not saying women can't be leaders too there's some great women leaders out there but I think from that you know this this calling inside of us um that we're talking about today well here's one in Teddy Roosevelt who his desire to take it all the way to the top i mean led him to the presidency of the united states so for sure being, yeah. being a leader is a big part of this that, that we didn't we didn't hit on but i think it's important to mention that lead your family right you know, and, and, you know, and, it, and it, there's different levels of it but certainly um that's where it starts
1: for sure just gonna say about teddy this lifelong pursuit of like i said earlier physical engagement in the world around them right mm-hmm. led him to who famously get up every morning while he was in the White House and go to the Potomac, even in the dead of winter, and swim the Potomac for exercise, butt naked. <laughs> Happened to be butt naked, which I think is hilarious. Uh, he once he, swam he, the he Brazos
0: was... River butt naked for seventy-five dollars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he was uh, he was uh, obsessed with uh, with hand-to-hand combat, martial arts, right? So he he engaged in a number of different disciplines. The most like memorable of which I read was. There was a I think it was a Brazilian stick fighting discipline that he became aware of somewhere along his presidency. So he went out and he found somebody who was a master of this stick fighting uh, martial art. Basically, they use little like three, two or three foot long by two foot long batons in each hand and they would, you know, fight like you might see in a movie blocking each other. Basically, every night for like a year he would bring this guy over to his house and get his ass kicked with sticks. And the next day he'd be bruised and bruises would be showing on his body. And there were people in his cabinet, like, ah, it's, it's a little weird and intense, man. Like, do you, <laughs> you, know, do you think it's a good idea for the president of the United States to be bruised and battered all the time? And he was like, absolutely. It keeps me humble and makes me stronger. Hmm. Right. Yeah. But it, it, going back to wild at heart, that's the sort of thing, not that in particular. Right. But just that daily, Harnessing of that masculine fire and energy and strength into things like that, which again, that that those types of disciplines are what allow you to apply discipline. He was known for having. I mean, people wrote about this. There are other like contemporary letters from his peers who would marvel at the fact that they never heard him swear, not hmm. once. Now that, that's something you and I both suffer from, and we would yes uh, model
0: my dad uh i guess he was a lot like teddy he never swore around us the only time i ever heard him swear was one time he asked me why i had to do such a half-ass job at at something which uh, you and i wouldn't
1: even consider swearing
0: the only right right we've said ass on the show a couple times today but he know you know what he told me he told me swearing is a sign of immaturity and that's what we've been talking about harnessing that masculinity that's he, right. My dad is a master of it. He doesn't swear. I uh, don't know how. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's admirable and I respect him for it. Right.
1: And, and yet he's an outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think what I was kind of getting at is Teddy did all these wild things, you know, in his late 20s, early 30s, becoming a ranch hand. Uh, you know, the, the war, these, these battles he would have inside the White House with these, with these martial artists. He did all of the stabbing mountain lions with, right. with a pack of dogs and a knife. He did all these wild things and yet then he was because of that outlet in his life, those outlets in his life, I believe that helped him exercise this immaculate discipline over his words, whether they were written or spoken over they, they, like they, they talk about him being I mean he was the he was like the truest statesman. He was so like polite and gregarious and and, and friendly and never forgot a name. There were letters about how people were so blown away that, you know, he could go five, ten years without having seen, meet a person once and five, ten years later, remember their name. Like, he was just this, he was a fascinating guy, man. And um, yeah, uh, he, to me, he is the epitome, epitome of masculine virtue, for right. sure. And that's not to say he was perfect. You know, he there were some things that he did as president and uh, as the secretary of the Navy and all these different, position, I think he was Secretary of the Navy, all these different positions that he held in government leading up to his presidency, where, you know, a lot of modern day conservatives, some of whom are m- my most, like Chris Stirewalt from Fox News, I listen to that guy all the time. He's a true small government conservative, and he thinks Teddy is one of the worst presidents of all time because of some of the excesses. He was a progressive, mm-hmm. he was a Republican, but he was a progressive for the time. And so things like the national park system and public land system that we have now, wilderness areas, all of that we owe to Teddy. There are a lot of conservatives who say that was, an, a, that was an unconstitutional abuse of federal power. Well,
0: you know what? They're morons because uh, <sighs> yeah, Teddy I mean, opened up those places and protected them in, in pretty much perpetuity so that you and I right. could pursue those mm-hmm. things that burn inside of us. That
1: my, right, absolutely. You, you, right. you know me, dude. I'm with it 100%. And my point was just that reasonable minds can differ about his legacy as as a, as a president. Um. And some of his, he was an eccentric guy, big time eccentric guy. There was one thing he did, and we'll wrap it up with this, that even he regretted in later life. Teddy was a bit of a warmonger. Mm -hmm. He actually instigated, he utilized his position within the the Navy at the time to lobby for and ultimately cause the Spanish-American War where we invaded Cuba to drive the Spaniards out which he then fought in. So at least to his credit, he started a war and had the balls to go fight it right himself, <laughs> right. <clears throat> but one of the things that even I would acknowledge, uh, one of the modern day outcomes of the Teddy Roosevelt legacy is he took us from an isolationist country to uh, a country that was involved in every conflict around the world that was that was Teddy was the first American leader to say, We need to get involved in the Russian Japanese conflict, which he actually mediated and and brokered a peace deal. He didn't get into it. We didn't enter it into combat with them. But, Mm -hmm. but he he was an interventionist. And so like World War One, he was done with his presidency during World War One, but he was very vocal about our need to storm into World War One. We need to go to war. And he had this, he had written that, that when a society, when a nation goes too long without engaging in armed conflict, they become soft and weak. And his thought was we need to get into a war every decade just to keep men tough and sharp. That's extreme. I'm a big believer that we don't need to be fighting every war across the world. Right. There's lots of other ways to keep a, to keep a nation strong and, and, and resilient than being in constant conflict. He lost one of his sons in World War I when we finally dove into that war and later reflected and said, I was wrong to be such a a warmonger, right? I was wrong to be so so interested in sending men into combat just for the sake of strengthening our nation. We should only do that when it's a vital, uh, when it's vital to our national interest, when it's vital to our national security. So that was something, you know, that's a legacy of his that's not uh, not great, but one that he learned from himself before he passed away because, Mm-hmm. He was all, as a wise man he was retrospective introspective right so anyway. we'll
0: we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with going back to those two books, wild at heart if you had him if you haven't read it, highly recommend it uh outdoor pastimes of American Hunter there's a ton of books like Chisholm said, Teddy was a great author, there's tons of literature of his you could read that I'm sure would be equally as interesting and inspiring um but that's going to do it for today's episode of Justified Pursuit. We will be back with a brand new topic next week chism certainly enjoyed the conversation man and uh let's uh you guys get out there and y'all y'all know my trifecta work out have sex or go hunting or fishing get outdoors (laughs) do one of those three things every day and you'll live a fulfilling life guarantee you that
1: google teddy roosevelt's the man in the arena and live that right on. memorize it know it hold it in your heart like scripture and live that old brother old brother old brother of mine i'm writing you a letter it's been a long time
0: so mama that i love her tell her everything's fine old brother old brother old brother of mine my daddy lived by the gun and his daddy did too Back when serving your country wasn't up to you He said some were born to talk boy and some were born to shoot My daddy lived by the gun and his daddy did too